Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Or, no, I'm just kidding. No, just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Everybody kind of was waiting for that. Uh, well, uh, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. My name is Marco. I am the, the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this lovely morning. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, if you're new, welcome. If you've been with us, uh, you know, welcome. Um, so today we're starting a new series. Before I jump into that, uh, where we're going to find ourselves this morning is going to be John chapter 15. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Uh, so I've had my coffee, so I'm prepared. I hope you guys are as well. So we're going to be in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So I'll let you, I'll let you get to that uh, as you, you open your Bible or you load your Bible. And uh, in addition to that, while you're getting there, I'll go ahead and tell you a little bit about you know, what's, what's going on today. So we're starting a five-part series called Disciples Making Disciples. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture over the course of the next five weeks. And uh, the, the reason we, we decided on, on uh, uh, embarking on this five-week journey on, on discipleship uh, is because if you were with us last week, uh, one of the things that I talked about was this, this core value that we have regarding discipleship. Now, discipleship, uh, if you're new to church culture, uh, even, even if you're, you're not, may be something that's slightly new or sounds like it's slightly new, but one, I assure you, it, it isn't. And then number two, uh, discipleship oftentimes in church culture gets through the word itself gets thrown around a lot and, and oftentimes doesn't get defined well, oftentimes uh, isn't talked about as much as it should, uh, particularly if it is a value of that church, in which our case it is. And so we decided to walk through this five-part series where we're going to unpack what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means uh, to, to enter into a discipleship relationship. What does that look like practically? I'll talk a little bit more about this uh, after our time together. Uh, but in addition to this series, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a class on discipleship basics where we'll get a lot more practical um, on on uh, the biblical practice of, of discipleship. And so we're going to complement that class, the practical application of that class, with this five-part sermon series. And so if something is a value, you invest in it. You invest money. You invest time. Uh, you invest a lot of different things into this so that you would see this value not only grow, but that you would see this value expand and ultimately impact your life. And so that's where we find ourselves today. So we're going to be in John uh, chapter 15, 1 through 11. Like I said, we got a lot of scripture to look at today. Um, I'll, I won't try to be brief. So we'll, we'll, we'll just jump into that. What I'll do is let me, I'll, I'll read the first 11 verses. Uh, uh, I'll read the first 11 verses, then I'll pray. And then we're going we're gonna to find ourselves parked in verses 1 through 4, uh, pretty much uh, for, for a while. We're going to find ourselves parked there, and, uh, and I'll walk through that by way of uh, illustration. So uh, with that, all that said, let's, let's jump into our time today. Here we go. So uh, John 15, 1 through 11. <clears throat> so Jesus says, and this is John recording him. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we begin to, or actually as we continue to, to worship you this morning, now through, through the preached word, Lord, uh, my, my first request would be that, that I would be uh, cast aside and that ultimately it would be your Holy Spirit uh, working, working through me uh, and speaking to, to, to your people affecting hearts, um, affecting uh, and causing transformation and repentance. Lord, I pray that we would look at something like John 15 and hold fast to your word because of who you say we are in light of what your son Jesus has already done. So Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in this time. I pray that we would uh, man, desire what you desire at the end of this. And so we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so yesterday, uh, yesterday my son and I, so I'm going gonna, gonna to blow up my son a little bit. I mean that in a good way. So uh, yesterday my son and I, we had lunch. We had a late lunch. We were hanging out during the day, and then we went to go have lunch, and we went to, we went to Subway. And as we went to Subway, we walked in, and there was only one employee. I'm not sure what you would call them. I think they're sandwich artists, right, because that thing was a work of art. So uh, I think she's a sandwich artist. Nonetheless, so she's behind the counter, and, and this, this girl's like hustling it, man. She's, she's making a couple of, of footlongs because someone had placed a phone order, and she was the only one in the restaurant. And so, you know, Seth and I walk in, and, uh, and we knew that other people were eventually going to walk in later on. And so as he and I walk in, she's like trying to get it done. She doesn't even say hi because she's like going through those tomato slices, and she's like putting everything up on those sandwiches, right? Um, as we're as we're waiting to, to order, we're looking at the rest of the restaurant and where all the tables are at. I guess where you would where you were eat. Uh, all the tables are man. They they haven't been wiped down. Uh, they had a ton of uh, the, the the sandwich baskets. The the wrappers of the sandwich were like thrown around. The straw uh, wrappers were were all over the floor. Like this girl didn't even have time to come out into the floor or pick any of that up because she was the only one. She's hustling it and all she's thinking is I got two more people in line here. Right later on as as. Seth and I sat down, uh, another two dudes showed up. And so I would imagine if she's thinking, man, I, I got this some time to clean up. Now these two guys show up, so I got to make them sandwiches. As she finishes ringing them up, another couple shows up. And so she's just, 
I could, I could sense that she was falling behind, and the restaurant looks not the best. It doesn't look welcoming. But nonetheless, we're noticing this, and as I'm beginning to order uh, our food, Seth walks out onto the floor, and he picks up all of the baskets. He picks up all of the wrappers. He picks up all the straw uh, things, right, that the, the straws come in, the straw wrappers, right, uh, the straw plastics. I don't know the technical term. Uh, so he's picking everything up and he's throwing everything away. He's like pushing the trash can down so that he could fit more stuff. He's putting the baskets on top of, or the trays on top of uh, the trash can where they're supposed to go. The table in which we were about to sit in, he wipes down. Uh, he he uh, fixes a couple of the chairs. You can tell there was a large group that was there previous to us um, arriving. And so he's, he's just picking everything up. Uh, and, uh, and man, I was just filled with like so much love for my son. And, and I was like really proud of him. Cause that was, that was so cool of him. And it was so cool because, uh, for, for several reasons, number one, I didn't tell him to go do any of that. Right. I didn't tell him, Hey, you should probably help her, help her out. Go ahead and pick up some of these trays. Like she's going to have less work to do. Right. It, I didn't, I didn't tell him that he did it on his own accord. Right. In other words, Seth saw a need and he met that need. Didn't expect to get thanked, didn't, none of that. He just met the need because he saw that there was a need, right? In addition to that, it led me to think about, uh, and, and this is a lot of my, my wife's doing, it led me to think about um, how we've raised them. Now, I'm not saying we're awesome parents, um, but I am saying that we have held this value of, of, teaching him that he is a son first. Now, I say that because uh, one of the first, and I'm going to piece all of this together in just a minute. Uh, one of the first identities that your, your children should know or should have is that of a son or that of a, of a daughter. However, that is only made possible, that is only accomplished by how you as a parent love your children. You feel me on that? That still has nothing to do with do this and don't do that. It has everything to do with how you love them, right? As you love them, you begin to invest values. You begin to invest uh, time into your children. And so they, they hold close to values that you have set before them. One of the values that we have, whether it's at home or whether we go out to eat is you always clean your area, right? I was a server when, when uh, I was in college and in high school. And uh, man, I loved it when people would put their, stack their plates, kind of clean their area so I could take their stuff away and they'd be a lot more comfortable at their table. So I thought, right? Not, not everybody did that. But that is one thing that, that we teach Seth. So number one, what I saw as he began to pick up these trays and put everything away was number one, Man, he knows that he is a son because of how we have cared for him, loved him, invested in him. And as a result, whatever values we've instilled, he was active in them now. You feel me on that, right? So we have loved him as a son. As a son, he is now uh, bearing fruit. He went out and, and, and picked up something he didn't have to. He went out and served this young woman so that she wouldn't have to have so much work. Here, here's what I'm getting at with all of this, right? Your identity determines your activity. That's super important. Your identity determines 
your activity, who you are, will determine what you do. Very similar to the recurring theme that we've been talking about for the past couple of months. What you believe shapes how you live. Think of this as the practical approach to that. Who you are determines what you do and how you do it and even why you do it. You feel me on that? Okay? And so what we're going to see in John 15 is we're going to see Jesus really push the barrier, push the envelope with our identity. Because if we're looking at making disciples, what we first need to know is that we are disciples. But in order to know that, we need to look to the words of Jesus so that we can not only better define what that means, but grasp and understand what that means for us practically, right? What that means for us practically, because identity determines activity. Who you are in Christ matters because it impacts everything you do. There is or shouldn't be a single area of our lives that aren't touched by the impact of who we are in Christ. As Christians, uh, as those who say we belong to Jesus, we do not and cannot afford the luxury of compartmentalization. Because who we are bleeds into every aspect of our life. And so with that being said, Let's look to verses 1 through 4. So, so we're going to dive as deep as we can. We're going to get a little bit nerdy so that we can have a really big context, right? And so the first thing where I want to park is ultimately on the first verse, right? And we're going to look at, we're going to break this down into three sections. We're going to look at this sectionally, uh, and I'll do my best to break down everything. And so the first thing that Jesus says is, I am the true vine. Now, John 15 is one of those passages or sections of scripture that is, man, a lot of Christians go to that. Maybe it's, uh, it's including, it's something that is, that is often quoted. But again, we're, we're going to dive into the meaning of this. When he says, I am the true vine, I need you to know that that is a loaded statement. That is a loaded statement when he says that I am the true vine. And the reason I am the true vine is such a loaded statement is because if you look back to the Old Testament, if you look back to the Old Testament, uh, God often referred to Israel, his chosen people, as the vine. Feel me on this, right? Follow me now, okay? So he often referred to them as the vine. Yet, tragically and consistently, Israel was uh, in sin and lacked repentance, okay? You can look to Psalm 80, verses uh, 14 and 19. It's on the notes. I won't go through it now because uh, it's kind of long, but you can, you can visit that passage. Or you can look to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7 where he writes, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Okay? And you can read, actually, the entire chapter of Isaiah, chapter 5. Right? And so with that being said, the vine was often referred to as God's chosen people, yet often they were uh, in sin and lacking repentance. Now fast forward to the New Testament. Why does it matter that Jesus says, I am the true vine? Here's why it matters. And this is the main idea of our time. This is something that's going to be repetitive. And if you take notes, here you go. 
The reason it's of great impact and importance is because when Jesus says that he is the true vine, he is saying that he has become what we can never be and that he has done what we are incapable of doing. That's why it is of great significance that he says, I am the true vine. We, we can't do it, right? And so he says, I am the true vine, and my father is of the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So there are two things that we're looking at as he continues in this section. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that, he, that does bear fruit, prunes. Either you belong to Jesus or you don't. This is where it's going to get difficult. Either you belong to Jesus or you don't. Some branches don't belong and will be thrown away. That could mean to interpret people who think they belong to Jesus or who think they are Christians, but actually aren't. So then what's the measurable? In other words, well then how do I know? If you look at the following verse, he says, the branches that bear fruit will be pruned. So either you're a or either it's a branch that is cut off, or it's a branch that is pruned. That's it. It's either a branch that is cut off, or a branch that is pruned. Okay, and the result of being pruned is to bear more fruit. That's it. Those are the those are the two things that we see in that section of scripture. Right? And so as a result of being a branch, you are to bear fruit. So the question on some branches being thrown away is whether or not they actually belonged to the vine to begin with. When we look at being pruned, the, the Greek translation of pruned is to be clean, right? Or to be cleaned. Jesus uh, elsewhere in this section says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Those who bear fruit understand that they have been cleansed by Christ, not something that they have done, achieved, or accomplished. Okay? Now, I'm going to be real. When I read that, when I read that, uh, you know, either a branch is going to be thrown away because it doesn't bear fruit, or if it does bear fruit, it's going to be pruned. I kind of wish you'd hear something a lot more, maybe nicer, right? Like, man, a, a branch that bears fruit is uh, going to be awesome, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't know, right? Strong. It's not, no, it's not that. You're going to be pruned. You're either going to be cut off or you're going to be cut back. Now, I uh, am what you called not a gardener or a yard person, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's the official title. But um, nevertheless, uh, at home, my wife... Uh, and my mother-in-law, like, take care of that stuff. I know how to cut stuff, and I know how to lift and pick it up. I don't know anything outside of that. And so, as I was reading, I mean, don't worry, I'm not taking a rabbit trail, but uh, I say that because I began to read a couple of short articles on the benefits of pruning your trees, right? Because that's something I think is, is a common language in the world of gardening. If you do any kind of gardening, that's something that's often talked about, right? You want to prune your trees, you want to prune stuff, and uh, 
And so as I read a couple of articles, I wanted to, to pretty much lump the top three things that I kept on reading about in light of pruning. Now, I'm going to give you this, uh, uh, it's from an article called Echo Edge or Eco Edge, right? Now, that's the article itself. What I want you to do is apply this to yourself personally, okay? Uh, these are the benefits of pruning. I got three things for you. The first one is, uh, one of the benefits of pruning, the, the, the first one is that it stimulates growth. It stimulates growth. So when you cut branches back, not only are you able to better manage the direction and the growth of the tree, right? But it's ultimately going to stimulate growth in that tree so that it leads into number two, so that the fruit production is of better quality, right? So not only will it bear more fruit, literally, not only will it bear more fruit, but its quality has also improved, right? Pruning is painful, although it's necessary, right? So one, it stimulates growth and it improves the quality of fruit production. Number three, when you cut branches back, uh, one of the things that ends up happening is that you take away hazardous branches that don't need to be there, right? And upon doing that, it prevents decay in the tree or whatever it is that you're pruning, right? We'll just use the example of a tree. So uh, it prevents decay in the tree. I didn't know that trees can get diseases. And so when you prune, uh, you're helping to prevent those diseases, or in this case, decay from affecting the rest of the plant, the rest of the tree. Now apply that to yourself personally. Think about the season that maybe you're just about to walk into. Think about the season that you're in. Maybe think about the season that you've just come out of. And think about, though it was hard and painful, the growth that you had. We talked about this in James, that we're going to face trials. It's not a question of whether or not we, we will, is maybe it'll happen. No, 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 no. If you belong to Jesus, you will face trials. And the result or the purpose of facing those trials is so that we come out spiritually mature at the end, that we grow in our endurance, that we grow in our maturity. So that's stimulating growth, right? In addition to that, as growth is being stimulated, you begin to bear fruit because you have a better understanding of God and what God is doing. That doesn't make it less easy. That doesn't mean it's not as difficult, but it's still producing fruit. And finally, that hazardous branches are removed and decay is prevented. That could be relationships. That could be hard conversations that you've had. That could be things that you were doing that you needed to repent of and remove from your life so that as it doesn't begin to affect decay, so to speak. Those are the top three reasons that I, I'm sure there are more, but there are, those are the top three reasons that I wanted to bundle in light of why pruning is necessary. And in light of its necessity, those who are being pruned have already been cleansed because they have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. They will be pruned to stimulate growth, to improve quality of fruit, and to keep decay from affecting the whole, right? I get it. Pruning is not exactly the most fun. Hard seasons are exactly that. They're hard and they're difficult. That doesn't mean that uh, it's for nothing, and that doesn't mean that there isn't a purpose on the other side of it, right? And so as Jesus continues to speak 
um, he goes on to talk about uh, abiding. And, and this, is, this word is, is used a lot throughout this entire passage. And I'll, I'll, I want to break that one down before we talk about bearing fruit. See, when Jesus is talking about abiding, you might be able to under, understand the context or analogy of bearing fruit. But when it comes to abiding, sometimes that word gets uh, tripped out a little bit. And maybe we overuse it in the church. Or maybe we don't use it enough so to speak, right? And so when we talk about abiding, when Jesus is talking about abiding in John 15, what he is saying is those who belong to him, those who belong to him will safeguard their relationship with Jesus through faith. Can I say that one more time? Abiding means that belonging to Jesus, right? Abiding in Jesus is belonging to him and safeguarding the relationship with him through faith. Now, we can go all the way back to our Five Solas series and where we walk through defining what faith is. I've, I've said it a lot of times, and I'll, I'll go real quick on, on what faith is biblically, right? Faith consists of three things. What it doesn't consist of is wishful thinking. What it doesn't consist of is blindness, and that you step out hoping to get caught, right? Faith consists of the word of God, so that's truth. Faith consists of agreeing with that truth. And then faith consists of active involvement in light of what that truth says. Right? The analogy, one of the common analogies of faith is the chair. I know that that is a chair because it looks like a chair, right? Uh, Now, do, do I agree that it's a chair? Yes, because of the right angle that it has and the padding and the cushioning and the four legs, right? But it is not fully faith until I what? Sit on it. Right? I have to sit on it in order to complete what faith is. Right? Abiding in Jesus is not only belonging to him, but safeguarding the relationship we have with him through faith. Feel me on that? So that's, that's what he means when, when he writes about uh, abiding. Additionally, when we're looking at abiding or when we're talking about abiding, uh, it, it usually references or results in two things, right? And, and all of this is said in John 15. I'm just trying to pick it apart sectionally, right? Um, when he says abiding in me, it consists of two things, okay? The first one, and this is going to come out in the third section once more. So again, this is repetitive. But the first result of abiding in Jesus and his words abiding in us, the first result is that as his creation, we bear fruit. Remember, identity determines activity. Right? Jesus is the vine. He is what we could not become. And as a result of who he is, he tells us what to do. We'll be bare fruit. Number two, in his plan of redemption, we bring the Father glory. We make much of the Father. Those are the two things that happen when we abide in him. We bear fruit and we give glory to the Father. And we'll talk a little bit more about that second one in just a bit. I want you to look to uh, uh, Galatians, or excuse me, before we get there. So in, in light of those things that I said, right, bearing fruit and then, and then uh, bringing glory to the Father, I want you to know that, that that was the plan from the very beginning. 
That has always been the plan. Look at, look at Isaiah 27, 6. And he writes, In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. It was the plan from the beginning for those that God created, for, for God's creation to bear fruit. And in doing so, they would bring glory to the Father. Bearing fruit has been the plan from the beginning. It's not plan B. It has been part of plan A from the very beginning. In Jesus, we find our gospel identity. That is, that he has become what we cannot become and has done what we are incapable of doing. We did nothing but believe, and even that was a gift from God. Look at Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse, verses 22 to 23. And Paul writes, and I want you to pay attention to this. Paul writes, but the fruit, you can, I want you to underline the fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Here's why I wanted you to underline the fruit when he gives this list of all these different things, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. He doesn't consider them plural. He considers it singular. I think the reason behind that is if we look at it and, and, and uh, treat them as plural, then we will choose what we are good at and just say what we're not good at. But he counts it as one so that we have no excuse but to work and be worked on in each of those areas. And I think that was intentional. That's why he doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. The bottom line is, if there is no fruit, there is no genuine belief. Verse 5 and 7. So he goes on and Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Uh, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here's, here's a side note. We're going to focus on three things in this section. Here's a side note. If you want to know what the opposite of abide is, it's wither. Right? When we don't abide in Jesus and his words in us, we wither. That's, that's the opposite of it. Now, with that being said, here are the three sections that I'm just going to break down and we're going to move quickly through them is, uh, because of time. Right? This, is a, this is a lot. Here we go. The first thing is when, when Jesus says that we can do nothing apart from him, what he is talking about is that we can do nothing of eternal value apart from him. Think about it, even logically. Uh, Non-Christians do things all of the time, right? They do good things. They do moral things. They make ethical decisions, and you might be the same way. However, apart from Jesus, apart from the finished work of Jesus on the cross, nothing that we will do has eternal value. That's what he means when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, what we do will not have eternal value. That is, that is the driving force of this section. The second thing that I want us to look at is that he says, if you don't bear fruit, right, then as a result of that, not only will you wither, right, 
But what you do produce is kindling. You know what kindling is? Kindling is what you use to help start a fire. It's going to be burned. Here's why this is, this is a big deal, right? Believing and belonging in Jesus are results of submitting to his authority. They're not fire insurance. You don't see that in the Bible, right? Believing and belonging or abiding in Jesus is not a get-out-of-hell-free pass card, Believing and belonging in Jesus means that I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me and as a result, I have redemption. You don't hear fire insurance in any of that. Your identity determines your activity. And the third thing that I want to look at is motivation. The last thing that Jesus says in this section is that if you abide in me and I in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right? A lot of social media hashtags on this one. Maybe even shirts. This is a great verse and often one of the ones that is taken out of context the most. So let me burst your bubbles. Okay? So he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Man, that's biblical. Totally. But don't forget the two conditions that he stated previously. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish. Because when that happens, when those two things happen, when we abide in Jesus and his words abide in us, what happens is that we now desire what he desires. That our will gets aligned with his will that our desire is for God to accomplish his will, namely transformation and restoration. All right? Think about it. We just prayed it corporately in the Lord's Prayer, right? The beginning of it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our desire is that God would accomplish his will and we get to come along for the ride as he accomplishes his will. Having a gospel identity and abiding in Christ means that we run to him, not from him. Okay? Last couple verses, verses 8 through 11. He writes, By this... My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay? Now, I've said this at the beginning. I'll say it one more time as, as kind of a recap so that it shoots us into this section. Right? And so there are two things that come with abiding. Right? The Father is glorified. And here's what I mean, uh, or here's what it means when, when he says that the Father is glorified. See, belonging to Jesus, uh, when you belong to Jesus, the Father is glorified because he looks at you, when he looks at you, I should say, when he looks at you, he doesn't see you, he says Christ in you. 
Therefore, he is glorified. The second thing that happens is that you bear fruit. And as a result of bearing fruit, it's the mark of a disciple, the mark of a follower of Jesus. Right? That's what he's saying in that opening passage. And so what's important is knowing that we are loved by God, that knowing that we are loved is the fuel for our obedience and transformation leading us to be further rooted in God's word and then conformed into the image of Jesus. Here's here's what, what, what we're seeing in this section. Number one, it's a cycle of dependence. It's a cycle of dependence. Number two, here, here's the practical thing of what it means to bear fruit. So we've looked at abiding. We've, we're looking at identity. And we're, the practical thing is, okay, well, what does it mean to bear fruit? What it means to bear fruit is to grow in a love for Christ. Now hear me on this. Bearing fruit means growing in a love for Christ. Oftentimes in Christian circles, in the church, we put a lot of money, a lot of words, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of investment into saying bearing fruit is not doing the things you're not supposed to do. Right? You feel me on that? It's not doing the things that you're not supposed to do. When you don't do the things that you're not supposed to do, you're bearing fruit. And yeah, that's true to an extent. But what we see here, right? What we see in light of what Jesus is saying, he is saying that bearing fruit is growing in a love for Christ. It's knowing that you are loved by Christ and as a result, you obey. Think about it, particularly if you're a parent, right? You don't tell your kids, do this and do that, and then I'll love you. That's a horrible gospel if that's what you're preaching to your children. What you do preach to your children or should preach to your children is, I already love you. You are loved. You are my son. You are my daughter. And as a result, they obey. As a result, they pick up subway stuff, right? Because of who they are. Identity determines activity, right? If you're tired, I know, and I know this is you, someone, I'm not looking at anyone in particular. If you're tired of trying to do more so that you can be better and you find yourself consistently failing, let me submit the words of Jesus to you that we see here. That Christ is the vine. That he has become what you cannot become. And he has done what you and I are incapable of doing for ourselves. That's why this matters. That's why knowing who we are matters. And Jesus explains that too. Jesus says that the reason this matters is so that our joy may be full. He says that our joy may be full. There's a fundamental difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. 
you get a promotion, you're happy. <laughs> you get fired, you're sad, right? Like, happiness is a result of circumstance. Joy is found not in circumstance. Joy is not found in your circumstance. It is found in the reality of belonging to Jesus because of what he has done. You can be joyful at what God is doing in and through your life and still not be happy. And we can look to Jesus to, to, to further elaborate that, right? Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 2. The writer says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was nothing happy about the cross, yet he endured it with joy. You can be joyful in what God is doing in and through you and it not be the best of circumstances. Because our joy is not found in our circumstances, but in belonging to Jesus. There is no safer place to rest apart from the reality that you belong to Christ and that Christ belongs to you as a result of what he has become, something that we could never be, and as a result of what he has done, something we are incapable of doing. That's why in the basket of gospel identity, we put all of our eggs in Jesus and nothing else. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, Lord, my, uh, my prayer is one, that you would be glorified. Number two, Lord, that we would find ourselves in a longing for your son Jesus. That we would come to realize that Jesus is our deepest need And as a result, as a result, we would find ourselves rooted and grounded in his work and word. Lord, this this is still a moment where where we worship you. And and, uh, Lord, I pray that we would hold tightly to our identity. Our identity determines our activity. Activity is second to who you first say we are. And you say that we are yours. So Lord, as we move into a time of offering, Lord, may this be a time where we, where we relinquish the control we, uh, we think we have of our finances and that we would be reminded that we are we're stewards of all that you've given us. And, and as stewards, that should be a reminder that we, we belong to you. As stewards, it should be a reminder that you are at work in us. And as stewards, it should be an open testimony to what you're doing through us. So may we give sacrificially like Jesus gave at the cross. May we give cheerfully for the purpose of worshiping you. 
Lord, we'll go into a time of communion, and that's a time where we give you our sin. We give you the sin where maybe we've, maybe we've distanced ourselves. Maybe we have just been in complete doubt. Maybe we needed to be reminded that we belong to you because of what you've done, not because of what we've done, because we're constantly trying and constantly failing. And either we come up with uh, despair or pride, and we don't want to be either one of them. We simply just want to belong to you. And so that's where we give you our sin. And as we move forward, lead us to sing loudly. Lead us to sing loudly because of who you say we are. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.